0: Right. uh, Good morning, everybody, and thank you for coming out in all all this wet rain, and uh, we appreciate you coming. My name is Terence Henderson. Um, What I'd like to do now is just open this meeting, Uh, but before I do, uh, we need to go through some fire procedures. Um, There are safety doors, the left and right and at the side here, and in the event of a fire, could we all meet, please? in the gardens opposite, opposite the Bertrand Russell statue. Thank you. Um, there, there are also feedback forms on your chairs which would be very useful if you could give a feedback to this lecture. We would appreciate it because it enables us to transform and change whatever we need to do in the future meetings. I'd like to welcome you on behalf of the Ethical Society Um, It is the oldest ethical society in the world. Uh, These talks have been going on since 1793, uh, when our first premises were built. When these meetings are finished this afternoon, we go to Penderall's. I personally won't be there, I have to get off early, we go to Penderall's pub which is over the road where we can continue with these discussions. Thank you. Okay, what I'd like to do now, please, is just introduce our speaker. I'm sorry, I'm a bit, perhaps I ought to stand up a bit more with this. I'd like to introduce the speaker to you. Our speaker is Dr. Omar Murad. Um, Omar has been a medical doctor in Kurdistan and has written many books on the human condition. His books were written in 2004, and finally published in 2011. He is currently working for the South London and Morsley NHS Foundation Trust. Omar's talk is entitled, Understanding the Human. He will then speak for 45 minutes, after which there will be time for questions to be put to Omar. So could you please welcome Omar, thank you.
1: Thank you very much for all of you for coming in this morning despite of the bad weather. Thank you very much and thank you, Terence, for your introduction. Over 7 billion humans live on this planet. Theoretically speaking, there must be enough food and space for everyone. The reality, however, is very different. It has always been the case, and it will always be the case that never all humans will have exactly the same belief system or value system. The dream of having a planet with perfect equality with a single belief system and a single value system is just pure fantasy. The pain is that we put our lives and our resources on fighting each other because of our differences which are just natural in an attempt to make everybody like us, by force, in the hope of creating that dream of one single uniform society. Such a goal of uniform society is impossible, as it has always been impossible, because it is pure fantasy. Therefore, can we put our lives and our resources on something else more useful and more achievable? I mean can we concentrate on learning and training ourselves on how can we all live on this planet with peace and tranquility Respecting each other's boundaries and stopping those destructive cycles of offense and counter offense, revenge and counter revenge, abuse and counter abuse, demonization and counter demonization, intrusion and counter intrusion? The answer is definitely yes. But only yes when we all reach that maturation that level of maturation that allows us to better understand those endless differences and feel better about them, consequently behave better towards each other. All our differences are because we see things from different angles, different perspectives, and even because of different chemistry. Seeing things from different angles while keeping stick to the angle one is happy with it is certainly possible. As it is all in the mind, the mind is the target of my book. The book consists of six chapters. This is chapter one, and Human Philosophy. And I want to skip all these subjects and go straight to this subject which I want to highlight on it. Evolution versus revolution. Anything we use around us has underwent a continuous development over time, underwent an evolution. Evolutions could be slow, such as in transport facilities. Evolutions could be very fast, such as in and the evolution in telecommunication. In the latter case, even one year can make a huge difference. Although fast evolutions look like revolutions, they are not because there is no destruction to what was there before. In fact, new things have been built on what was there before. Revolutions are not like evolutions because they destroy all what was there before and come up with something completely different. Evolutions or revolutions in science and technology when not abused are fine and might be harmless. The problem is in political and social revolutions. The damage is from the use of the rock logic i.e. violence and aggression, and the damage is from the destruction. That is the basic idea that I want to concentrate on it here. Personally, I am against all revolutions at all times for whatever reason, even when violence and aggression is not used I just think revolutions are wrong. Certainly, revolutions are destructive and counterproductive when violence and aggression is used, regardless of the goal wanted to be achieved. To me, there is absolutely no noble goal that is really noble if if that goal allows the use of violence and aggression. Such a dramatic, sorry, a revolution means an overnight radical change. Such a dramatic, fast radical change means a huge pain, suffering, stress, and maladjustment for absolutely everyone. And when violence and aggression are used, as it is the case in the vast majority of cases, then human costs and material costs are just too much. When a healthy, wise person looks at real costs, then she or he will never allow a revolution to take place under whatever circumstance for whatever goal. A healthy, wise person will always start an evolutionary process to make the change and will accept the use of water logic, i.e. every possible peaceful mean as a mean to make the change. To sum up, evolution, is the healthy way for changing things and water logic is the only healthy mean to make changes. Revolutions, on the other hand, is the unhealthy way for changing things and rock logic is definitely unhealthy mean to make changes. Evolution means Studying the problem, gathering all necessary information from all different parties, explaining why change is necessary, finding options and alternative options, putting peaceful functional plans and alternative plans for the change, starting a peaceful process of to change, and at the same time, dealing with unwanted painful consequences in a responsible manner keeping the mind open for going forward and backward, left or right, until the change is suitable for everyone and everyone is happy with it, and thus all win and no losers. Revolution means an overnight radical change that cannot be done without using violence and aggression, huge human costs and material costs. No one really understands the new idea that now must be implemented and tested for the first time at whatever cost. And above all, everyone is loser in one way or another. Those who are pro-wars, pro-revolutions, pro-rock logic are either unhealthy or ignorant who have no idea at all what the rock logic mean in terms of human costs and material costs. Those of the first group, the unhealthy ones, need to know that they are not only narrow-minded, but also they are really unhealthy. While those in the second group, the ignorant ones, need to be taken experience war and revolution conditions, firsthand, experience, so that they can make some sense of the costes, both human costs and material costes, and thus gain some insight. When I took some very revolutionary friends for a visit to the Imperial War Museum in London, they became very non-revolutionary, just within few hours of seeing human costes and material costes of wars and revolutions. Changes and evolutions are inevitable in life, and all what we need to do is to get the balance right, use appropriate means, i.e. water logic only, i.e. every possible peaceful mean only, and allow changes to take their natural courses and times. The common code of conduct within all changes must be this. Everyone's boundaries, choices, and decisions should be respected. It's not an evolution the change that causes more suffering and more pain. Now this is the second subject. I want to concentrate on it from my book. The human consists of what? As you see, the human consists of body and mind, and this is the anatomy of the mind. As you can see, the black-red triangle on the top is the conscious mind, and the huge rest of the triangle is the unconscious mind that contain instincts, desires, suppressed feelings, and both positive and negative ones. And you can see here at the right side of the triangle, another little triangle with dots That is the place of what we call it, the extraordinary psychic sense and power. The conscious mind is the place of conscious thinking, learning, working, beliefs, willpower, determination, and likewise. The unconscious mind is the place of desires, instincts, and suppressed, repressed wishes. The unconscious mind is highly under the influence of all environmental factors such as the family background, the society, the education, the culture, etc. The unconscious mind is also the place of another thing that modern scientists firmly believe in it that's, that's what we call extraordinary psychic sense and power. Some call this the sixth sense, the sixth sense, some call it the power of miracles, some call it the magic. Some have established a scientific field for it, the parapsychology. Although scientists believe that everyone has bit of that extraordinary psychic sense and power, The difference is huge among people. The vast majority of people have very little extra psychic sense and power. It is so little as if it is absent. Very few people, on the other hand, have too much of that that cannot be denied even by most modern scientists and i just want to show you the anatomy of the mind in different circumstances for different people this is unhealthy mind as you can see too many destructive instincts and negative desires and few positive ones this is the healthy mind with too many positive and constructive uh, uh, instincts and desires, and few negative ones. This is healthy, extraordinary minds. You see the too many positive, uh, constructive desires and instincts, and the extraordinary psychic sense and power is just huge. An example, for example, will be Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, one, one example for this. Unhealthy, extraordinary minds uh, for extraordinary people who are unhealthy, you can see too many destructive instincts and desires, but there is also huge, extraordinary psychic sense and power, and they can also influence huge numbers of people. An example for this will be Hitler, for example. Now this is our anatomy, body and mind, everybody know, and there is a the reciprocal effect between the body and the mind. But I just want you to imagine how much the mind is big in compared to the body, just to to know how much the mind is big in, in compared to the body. But the effect of them is reciprocal, each affects the other this is this is. Another, you know, representation of the three components of the self. We have divided the mind into conscious mind and unconscious mind. So the final representation of of what we consist of is body, flesh, flesh and blood. Conscious mind, we are intellectuals, thinkers. And unconscious mind, we are psychospirituals. The needs of all the three components must be healthily met so that the human can be balanced and in harmony with the self and with others. Ignoring any component will lead to imbalance and disharmony. All philosophies and all systems that destroyed the balance And thus, the harmony of the above three components seriously harmed the human. And consequently, the human rejected all those philosophies and systems. Just one example, communism. You know, the communist countries themselves got rid of it after one century because it got the imbalance between these three needs. Sorry, the whole book is on slides and I'm just trying to concentrate on a few of them because I can only present 1% of my book, but the books are there, two copies to see them and they are available on Amazon. It's very important that all human beings have the capacity to analyze things and to reconnect things again see things in an in in a interdependent, connected way. Unfortunately, some people analyze things and then look at things in a disconnected, independent way, and that leads to reductionism. And the the other, the opposite way is analyzing things but then reconnecting them and looking at them as dependent, interdependent, interconnected things, and that's lead to the holistic view. This another uh, slide shows different views as I have given them different colors on any subject. If you take only one view, then unfortunately you are falling in the reductionist mistake, and you are are ignoring all other views. The human being is like a complex, multifaceted structure, has so many angles. So when you look at the human being from one single angle, Unfortunately, you might fall in that mistake of being reductionist. But when you look and consider all the angles, all the views, you will have a holistic view about the human being. Unfortunately, some people consider themselves as believing in one scientist or believing in one philosopher and totally ignoring all other scientists or other philosophers. I think they are just like sticking to one angle and ignoring the other angles uh, uh, and other views. So all views is a holistic view. Reductionism is like seeing one bit only seeing one mile deep, but just one inch wide. I think you might have seen in your life huge experts in one field, but this doesn't mean they understand the human being because the person might be a a professor in biochemistry, but he know nothing about other things in life. So that person know one mile deep in biochemistry, but know one inch wide about life and about the human being. On the other hand, when we see all bits, seeing one mile wide, even if one inch deep, this is a better situation when people know more about different aspects, even if one mile, one, one inch deep, th- that's more holistic, that's better view. This is the next subject that I want to concentrate on, uh, on in my presentation. Uh, certainty versus uncertainty Of course there is great feeling of safety and security in certainty and there is great deal of anxiety in uncertainty Of course one will feel more safe and secure if she or he know things for sure knowing all the 100% of information, knowing all the 100% of facts and figures, knowing absolutely everything for sure, knowing the 100% of details, being 100% sure that those details are 100% correct, knowing 100% absolute truth, etc. But the big questions are, Are we really sure that we have 100% of truth? Are we really sure that we have 100% correct answers? Do we know the 100%? Do we know all the 100% information? Are they 100% correct? The answer to all above questions of certainty is no. In fact, There might be no certainty in our world. There might be nothing that we know for sure. There might be nothing that we are 100% sure about. In real life, we live in the uncertainty world. Everything around us is uncertain. The only exceptions are some basic chemical structures that we know about them quite a lot. For example, the molecule of water consists of both hydrogen and oxygen. Everything is in the world of uncertainty. Thus, the world of certainty has become the fantasy world and the world of uncertainty and relativity has become the reality world. What we thought for thousands of years to be reality is no more than fantasy. And what we thought to be fantasy is in fact reality. It's really pity that first we were thinking that we live in the certainty world and everything we have is certain. But we discovered that this is not the case at all. In fact, the opposite is true. That is, we live in the world of uncertainty. Second, the certainty that we embraced for so long is in fact fantasy and the uncertainty is reality. Now, we have to make three major changes in our mental maps they are. We need to realize the above two facts. We need to accept the uncertainty and feel happy about it. We need to stop living in the fantasy world of certainty. In sciences, even in humanitarian sciences such as psychology, anthropology, and sociology, every scientist has come to realize and accept the above new concept, and thus they have embraced relativity and uncertainty. They call their conclusions as speculations, guesses, hypotheses, theories, etc. They only call few things facts, like the example of molecule of water. Thus, scientists move it towards uncertainty. nothing is absolute, nothing is hundred percent. The problem, however, is in the field of philosophy. Here the picture is quite different. although all philosophies, although all philosophies are probably. Byproducts of human imagination, not all philosophers have embraced uncertainty. In fact, many of them still stick to the word of certainty. They don't want to convince themselves that the opposite is true. Certainty usually leads to wars, violence and aggression, extremism, and intolerance, uncertainty has no such consequences. The next subject I want to concentrate on is atheists versus fundamentalists versus moderates. As far as belief systems are concerned, The worldwide distribution of people could be presented as a big percentage of fundamentals in one extreme, a big percentage of atheists on the opposite extreme, and a small percentage of moderates in between the above two groups. Personally, I'm not happy with the above distribution because there are too many people at both extremes that is to say, too many people in the certainty world, fundamentalists and atheists, and too few people in the uncertainty world, moderates from both sides. In other words, too many in the world of fantasy and few in the world of reality. I want to present my case in the following three points. First, Atheism might be not only wrong because there is no any evidence that could prove the absence of God, but might also be inappropriate because it pushes people towards the certainty of extreme liberalism. Atheists think and behave in certainty terms in the word of certainty This leads them to go too far. Of course, this only leads to the development of a reactionary opposite force that want to bring back the society to the opposite extreme, that is to fundamentalism. Of course, when they are all in the certainty world, each side is 100% sure that it is right and the other side is wrong, wars, violence and aggression are inevitable consequences. Second, extreme fundamentalism might be wrong because there is no absolute evidence that could prove the existence of God. Religions, are not absolute evidence because religions themselves are not certain. I spent more than two energetic decades practicing, studying, searching, comparing all those major religions of the world, and I come to this conclusion without any doubt there is no religion without serious weak points. Let me say it frankly and clearly, every religion has serious weak points that are enough to destroy its truth. Therefore, please don't be fanatic to any religion. To me, religions cannot be used as absolute evidence to prove the presence of God, because religions themselves are uncertain. Therefore, it might be better that whole subject be in the world of uncertainty. Also, theological evidences might convince some people but definitely not many others. The belief in the existence of God is something in the heart, in your heart. When you feel it, you will believe. That's why I have put this entire subject in the world of uncertainty, and I am now happy living in the world of uncertainty. I I am neither atheist nor fundamentalist. Fundamentalism and atheism are inappropriate because they push people towards extremism. The consequences of taking the society to one extreme is the growth of the opposite extreme. Again, wars, violence, and aggression are inevitable consequences. Moderation might be right because It is in the world of uncertainty, and appropriate, because it doesn't go too far in any direction. That's why moderation is safe, peaceful, and does not provoke any extremism. Moderation has no opposite extreme. Also, moderation promotes more tolerance, It does not cause wars, violence, and aggression. I hope that people would move from both extremes to moderation. That's to say, moving from certainty to uncertainty. I just want to go through these slides with you again. Uh, Sorry, can you help with Thanks, John. It's all right, that's it. Right. So extreme fundamentalists live in certainty, they are 100% sure, they are intolerant of different views, they are fanatic to religious myths, they judge others, could easily become violent and aggressive, and they are over. Extreme atheists live in certainty as well. They are 100% sure. They are intolerant of different views. They are fanatic to scientific myths. They judge others, and they could easily become violent and aggressive again, and they could be offensive in their lifestyle. Moderates live in the uncertainty, they are not sure, tolerant to different views, not fanatic to anything, don't judge others, usually non violent and non aggressive. And in their lifestyle, they are neither overprotective nor offensive. And by this, I want to end my lecture. I have a couple of books there if you want to look at them at the end of the lecture and they are available on amazon i could only present like one percent of my book but there are other chapters understanding human thinking pattern understanding human needs understanding human behavior patterns understanding the family understanding the society this is the book uh, which i am presenting thank you
0: Well, thank, thank you, Omar. Um, please, uh, would you like to stay there? Or yeah. Just sit down for a minute okay. and then we'll ask some questions. Um, I'd like to thank Omar for his presentation. Certainly quite powerful and uh, gives lots of substance to think. Just a few points to make just before we go on to questions and answers. Um, There's future events coming on. They should be rotating on this slide above me. If it's not, John will sort it out. Thank you, John. Um, This afternoon, there's generally a symposium in the afternoon and John Rayner normally chairs this meeting. Is John here? John? Yes. Thank you. So if anybody would like to continue this discussion, certainly go this afternoon. Yes, it'll be in the Brockway room, not in this room. And And, I'm just told here there will be tea and biscuits, so that's a reason to go. (laughs) And um, could you please consider filling out your form, please, on the seats, which will be very useful. Omar would like some feedback as well. Um, Okay, so we're going to have some questions and answers now. You'd like an announcement, Barbara, okay? Thank you very much Barbara, Uh, with your questions please, Derek I believe is going to take the microphone. John, is there a microphone for Derek? Derek, just here please, thank you. Um, Could I ask you that your questions are succinct, to the point and focused. Uh, Omar, we've been very very uh, grateful for Omar for giving us almost a psychiatric philosophical view of the mind and how it relates to our behavior. So if we can keep focused, I would appreciate it. The first question, please. The gentleman right at the back in the corner. Sorry, it's the person behind you.
2: Uh, Thank you very much indeed, very thought-provoking. I may be paraphrasing you, but I think you stated right at the beginning that all revolutions are wrong and bad. Um, you said that with great certainty. <laughs> I'm wondering if you might like to qualify this statement in some way, and uh, o- otherwise explain to us where we would be today without having uh, gone through the industrial revolution, for example. Thank you.
1: Yes, I think I also say that uh, revolutions in science and technology might be harmless and might be fine, But the problem is with social and political revolution. I was very clear. So I strongly am happy with the Industrial Revolution. It was a great achievement in human history. And that's why our life is so comfortable because of the Industrial uh, uh, Revolution that happened first in this country, which we are proud of it in the United Kingdom.
0: Thank you, Amma. Next question, please. I've got an instruction here to ask people who've never spoken before, new people to the, the environment. Uh, this gent, this this gentleman. Sorry, is there any ladies, please? This gentleman here. I should say women. I do apologise.
2: Yes, I, I. Is it on? Yeah. Uh, I would just challenge you um, that only scientific or industrial revolution is productive. Um, there's an old saying which is that power corrupts absolute power, corrupts absolutely. And I've worked in many, many countries that have had to have a revolution or seem to have a revolution because how else do you change society? In this country, uh, you know, we would still be living under... Uh, an aristocracy or a virtual dictatorship if it hadn't been for people breaking the rules and having a social revolution. Uh, sometimes you can't effect change um, diplomatically and evolutionary. There has to be, uh, I'm afraid, a violent, a sea change.
1: Thank yes, thank you. I think uh, my own life has influenced my ideas and thoughts. I have been in two wars, and I have been in one civil, uh, civil war. And during the civil war, I was last year medical student, and I went to my local hospital to volunteer at the morning of the uprising to help the staff. And within a few hours, I became the only doctor in this big hospital. Everybody left and everybody ran with their families to the mountains. And I remained in the hospital for 55 days, serving people, receiving wounded people, receiving disabled people, receiving old people who have been left for the hospital to look after them. And I saw the consequences of, of those wars and of that uprising, and who paid the price. Ordinary people, innocent people, were the mostly who paid the price. And the painful experience that I had during those wars and the civil war has led me to believe that for whatever change we want, we shouldn't sacrifice innocent people. And we should respect each life and every life. And if we stop believing in violence and aggression, we will discover countless methods, peaceful, useful methods to, de- to do the change. It will take longer. It could take generations, but eventually it will happen. So. Really, I want to emphasize my idea that when we stop using our hands, i.e. stop using violence and aggression, we will be obliged to use our minds and we will discover countless peaceful, useful methods, effective methods to make change but i don't believe in sacrificing thousands of lives in in order to make radical change i just don't believe in that
0: thank you omar uh, can i ask you to think about this is quite a unique approach that omar is adopting we are very fortunate to have a psychiatrist training psychiatrist a medical doctor can i th- can i ask you to think about models of the mind the unconscious and try and focus that way more than on external philosophy it would be very useful the next question questioner, please. Is there any females? Sorry, I know that gentleman's got his hand up there. I will ask for you. Uh, c- could, could I have that, that gentleman there? Yes, please. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I just wanted to ask you what we you meant by referring to atheists, by offensive
1: behavior. Extreme liberalism. Total, total permissiveness.
0: Sorry, could you? The the question was, what do you mean by offensive atheism? The answer is. Sorry, Omar.
1: I meant uh, being being, uh, totally permissive or extreme liberal, having no limits at all, no restrictions at all. No, not at all. No, I think that question think is if you,
0: outside of the range of the, the perspective that we're adopting here. I did, don't think he really meant that.
1: I think, let me explain my, my view about uh, the, the, the social life. I am personally uh, believe, believe that all our codes of conduct has been shaped by religion, and religions are product of human mind at some stage thousands of years ago and we shouldn't dictate our lifestyle according to commands of religion i think we should be more scientific more rational and accept human experiences human chemistry human feelings i i brought up in a fundamental muslim country and when i came here i was homophobic i was uh, uh, unable to accept the way life people express their feelings and emotion in this country, but after being in this country for 16 years, reading and, and enlightening, I am more than happy to respect every human feeling, every relationship, whether it's between two men or two women, or between a
3: man or a woman.
0: Thank you, Ama. Thank you. Uh, next question, please. Uh, Donald was
3: next, I think, and then... Thank you for the talk. Uh, uh, I think the the first few questions uh, dealt not with fact, but with the meaning of words. Uh, I have worked since 1962 doing cartoons for Peace News, which is a journal of non-violent revolution. And you are using revolution Uh, with a definition which actually includes violence, which most of us won't. But talking about the talk in general, could I say the the presentation of your talk is in all the years I've been here, I've never heard a talk which was more solemn or monotonous (laughs) than the one that you've given us. And the content of the talk, I think, is one of the most platitudinous. I think
0: right uh, okay um,
1: thank that's a viewpoint over to you mama thank Emma. you uh, I, sorry I didn't understand what was the question what was the
0: que- what was the question donald keep focused on the question, well, the question is, do you agree?
1: <laughs> well I respect every opinion and I definitely will agree with your opinion I respect it I think every human being have an opinion and every every opinion must be respected so I have total respect for your opinion
0: thank you uh, next next question sorry the gentleman there please yeah thank you Derek for doing this
4: sorry what, uh, thank you very much for your talk most stimulating what do you will Sigmund Freud who one of the first to introduce us to the unconscious mind and influence sub unconscious influence upon our conscious behavior. The three classic Freudian concepts, which millions know about, of course, or some do, is the superego, the ego and the id, which uh, Freud developed. What, what, do you think Freud, the ideas of Freud, are still relevant to what you're saying?
1: Yeah, let me, let me bring a slide for you, just one second. Yeah. Um, I totally respect uh, and agree with this, the structural uh, uh, theory of, of the mind by Freud, which he said, id and, and, and ego and superego. And I think uh, all what we need is try to get the balance right between these and not to uh, make, for example, Aid, which is the instinctual and and, and, and uh, uh, needs of human being to overcome for example the superego which puts limits and puts uh, uh, moral values on on our behavior so i think i think we need to get the balance right between between these and another uh, uh, another uh, Another structure to human needs is that the human being have three parts. The child part, as you see, the adult part, and the parent part. And the, part, the child part is, is, is the part uh, of the self that wants to have fun and play. And the adult part is the part of the self that wants to, have, to be competent and responsible and the parent part is the part of the self that wants to love and nurture. I think we need to integrate all these three parts in our self in order to be in harmony and in order to be balanced and in, in order to uh, uh, look, look nice as a human being.
0: Right, thank you, Emma. Um this gen- sorry, there's, what, could I ask a lady, because we're just the first lady at the back. I think it's Fiona. Ah, that- uh, okay, sorry. John? Okay, John.
5: Um, well, I had to change the nature of the question uh, according to the the uh, comments you've already had. But uh, firstly, I want to go back to your Co- condemnation of revolution under all circumstances there's clearly a lot of people don't agree with you here because what is happening today is that say power and wealth is stagnating in very few hands and i think democracy is very gradually ebbing away it's because co- power is just too concentrated and this power is not going to be broken up by a few good good intentions it might have to be broken up by some form of uprising and force so I'm still going to stick up for revolution. When you answered the question you appeared to be conflating revolution with civil war. I think what you were talking about was really a civil war like what's going on in Syria and Egypt. They're not really revolutions because there's, I can't see where the change is coming from. They have no, there's no Lenin there to, to lead the process of change so all you've got is civil war, factions versus factions. Aided from outside, so I don't think that does count as revolution.
0: Okay, John, thank you. And and again,
5: continue, please. It's all right. uh, And the other thing you said was that you 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 came up with this old uh, saw that, oh, atheists, strong atheists, have no morals whatsoever, you know, and that is rubbish because most atheists believe that morality is largely an evolved factor, it's not even human. So we have it in ourselves. It's not a question of, it's not come to us from outside, it's not come from upstairs. It's inherent in our, our, our setup. Without it, we couldn't have survived.
0: Okay, thank you, John. Omer. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: I think uh, I just made it clear that I am against our revolution because the vast majority, if not all of them, use violence and aggression. Just give me one example of a revolution that didn 't use violence and aggression and that didn't have thousands of victims, innocent victims. Just give me one example so so I Well, I I think I will respect your opinion, but I will stick to my opinion that I don't agree with any revolution that use violence and aggression and I stick to uh, uh, evolution and peaceful means of making change. I just want to tell you if the whole society unite in doing something they are capable of doing it, and for example, Mahatma Gandhi when he peacefully ended the British, uh, British rule in India. He, he didn't use violence, but he achieved independence through the united people, united peaceful uh, uh, front of the people. Okay, uh, thank, thank you, i um, There's sorry, lots of
0: questions here. I need to make sure everybody asked the question. Lots the other, of the
1: other bit of the question, uh, Terence, if you allow me. Yeah. I didn't say that atheists have don't, don't have moral. I have never said that. No and I've never even made any intention to say that. Mm. And I totally believe in what you say that our conscious, our morals come from within, not from anywhere else. And I, I, am, I consider myself as an atheist more than as anything else, but a moderate one, with respecting all other views of life, all other religions, all other philosophies. Okay,
0: okay, Omar. can I just get some more in? Thank you. This gentleman here has had his hand up.
5: Um, I just want to go back to Sigmund Freud, who in his notion of the id included the, the perverse, the aggressive, the cannibalistic, the uh, patricidal, and any kind of murderous um, instinct. And he also um, yeah, w- would, you, would you include that in your definition of, of the human psyche and in, in your condemnation of aggression? What, what would you um, see as as suppression uh, in terms of what you're talking about?
1: Yes, I want first to tell you I agree with every scientist, with every philosopher in their views, but I want to bring all them together to have a balanced view. So I agree with everything Freud has said. And uh, Freud has said that we have both the uh, destructive force and the the force to uh, kill. And I think, I, I, I totally believe in that. And I believe that we human being, every one of us, me and you and the other, every one of us, has the capability, has the potential to do anything in life, anything. So there is no angels. We are capable of doing everything.
0: Thank you, Ama. Um, uh, there's one, our first woman, I think, this lady here. Yeah. This. Sorry, the lady here with her hand up, yes. First, woman. Sorry, I should say woman, not lady. Sorry.
1: Um, You talked about using water logic instead of rock logic, but in places like Syria, um, or just the Arab Spring in general, where rock logic is being used by um, people that have this concentrated power, as someone else was talking about as well, um, and bearing in mind that water logic must involve a huge degree of compliance how do you suggest that these innocent civilians as you were talking about um, try and initiate evolution and also counteract the rock logic
4: without also using rock logic? I think
1: think it all starts within the individual. Uh, Let me give you an example of myself. I, I used to be a having violent episodes in the past. I have been violent to my sister, I have beaten her several times, my younger brother, and um, I was like violent and aggressive at some stage in my life. But after going through life experiences and educating ourselves, I have become totally peaceful person, I can't harm anybody anymore, I can't hurt anybody. I think to be a peaceful person, non-violent person, it needs a lot of nurture, a lot of healthy grow up and healthy experiences. And we, as I said, Freud has said, we have an instinct in ourself, within ourselves, to become violent and aggressive. This is part of our human nature. But I think we need to overcome that nature by nurture by proper upbringing, proper education, proper experiences in life. So I don't know, I don't have an answer for the problem in Syria, but I, ag- I just say what is happening in Syria is total disaster. Is Every side is wrong, every side is, is, is criminal, whether on the government side or in the opposition side. They are all criminals by using such violence and aggression among themselves and and they have so many innocent victims among themselves.
0: Thank you, Ammar. The gentleman here,
1: please. Uh, Thank you for your presentation,
5: sir, which I like 100%. uh, But what would you think of the following? That drawing from our last uh, lecture last week, Population Matters, the only thing in my mind that I can see and I can't get rid of from my mind that whatever we do whether it be balanced uh, or revolution or whatever the only thing that will do anything about our increasing population is a super major catastrophe be it biological, geological astrological or climatological only something like that will do anything about our uh, increasing population. Thank you. Thank, you.
0: Thank you.
1: Yes I agree. I think we need uh, to We need to organize our world and we need to plan for the future generations. I think this rate of increasing population is, is wrong and I think we need proper family planning. But at the same time having this view, I am also of the opinion that we still have enough resources and we still have enough space for 7 billion human beings on this planet. All what we need is to divert our resources from military machines, from wars and violent revolutions into peaceful means, into food and health and education for everybody everywhere.
0: Thank you, Ama. Uh, Next speaker, please. Uh, Thank you. Opposite, opposite. Sorry.
1: (laughs) You're talking about uh, unconscious mind, of course. Um, I don't understand when you say spiritual, because um, I don't know what is spiritual and unconscious mind. So um, for one, they don't believe in spirit and everything. What do you deal with spiritual?
0: Unconscious, spiritual? I don't know. Yes. Okay, can you clarify the concept of spi- yes. spiritual? Yes,
1: I think spiritual. I think many people would agree with you and many people don't believe in this and, uh, anatomy of the mind because they don't want that psycho-spiritual bit within these components of the human being. A lot of people would, would agree with that. But as I said to you, I try to have a whole a holistic understanding, and and the human being is just not uh, like a, 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 a tree or like something material purely. Uh, we in the past thought that the heart is just a muscular thing, it just pumps blood, but actually the heart has an electromagnetic field around it, and we use that electromagnetic field to measure it using ECG to see if there is any problem in the heart. Same way in the mind, we have electromagnetic field around our head, around our brain, and we use EEG, electroencephalogram, to measure that electromagnetic field. I just want to tell you the belief in the human being to have this psycho-spiritual aspect as well is since the human history started. It's very old, and generation after generation, philosopher after philosopher, uh, scientist after scientist, has come to divide the human being into body and mind, or body and psyche, soma and psyche. And uh, and uh, this 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 understanding of human being we cannot just get rid of it we cannot just ignore it Uh, but i agree with you we don't have any investigation any scientific proof that could definitely prove the existence of psycho-spiritual aspect of the human being but i want to tell you another thing that two 100 years ago, we didn't know that the matter has an electromagnetic field around it. We didn't believe in electrophoton field. We didn't fe- believe in X-ray and gamma rays and beta rays and alpha rays. We didn't believe the existence of these dimensions, but now with the development of science and technology, we come to discover these dimensions and we can prove its existence scientifically. So all what I want to tell you, let us keep our mind open. The, the, let us respect all those thousands, hundreds of philosophers and scientists who believe in the existence of psycho-spiritual aspect until one day the science discover a dimension that could prove its existence. We still don't have that dimension, I agree with you.
0: Thank you, Omar. Could I just see some hands so I can see who who wants to speak, please? Okay, this gentleman, this man here, please.
5: Raise your hand, please. Thank you.
4: Just going back to the revolution thing, I think that you might have it within you to to revolt if the conditions were right. I think that if someone knocked on your door and uh, put all your furniture out in the street and told you, you were going to starve to death. You don't have time to actually wait for things to come right in 20 years' time. You have to uh, do something about it. I think if the Irish had, hadn't revolted against the British, then we would own all of that country now rather than just part of it. So there are circumstances where I think it is uh, unavoidable. But going on, you did mention, going on from that, that uh, you did mention the term negative desires. Can you try and answer that without fudging it, as you did with the atheist question?
1: Yes, any, any negative desire, that that desire that end up with victims, for example, pedophilia, I think it's a negative desire because the victim is a child who has no capacity to consent, for example. So, just for example, one, one of these negative desires is that and the other, to me, negative desire is, is the destruction, is a destruction instinct and, and, and the wish to kill others and to destroy others and to destroy things. So I think these are just examples of negative desires.
0: Thank you. Um, okay. Uh, Fiona?
5: which you rubbish, though. We cannot afford to feed the world as it is. We are using the water resources, we are ruining the soils, we are ruining wild habitat. We've got to do something about educating people that they must not have any more children than they absolutely can afford.
1: Totally agree with you. Totally agree
0: with you. Okay, thank you. Um, Terry at the back
1: no i I say that but I say it as well still we have enough resources for everybody I I because I see how much money is going towards and revolutions and to military machines and diverted from the useful means to be used that's why i I am of the opinion if this If these resources went to civilian uh, and civil aims and goals, I think many lives will live better and many people will live better.
0: (coughs) Sorry? Sorry, can you repeat the question, Fiona, please? Um,
5: what, What do you say are the resources that money is going to buy?
0: What are the resources that money is going to buy? Sorry, I can't understand. I couldn't hear properly. Okay, what, what are the resources that money is going to buy? She, she wants to know what the resources are. Yes.
1: I think we have a huge planet. We have huge lands which can be properly cultivated if you produce food. We have. Uh, enough water resources to to uh, help with every thirsty person and if we just divert our money and our resources to, for example, health, education, infrastructure and uh, these things, I think there will be so much resources uh, to use in these things uh, instead of using them in uh, military machines and wars and revolutions. Okay. I think I'm, I'm, I'm just of the, of the opinion that a lot of percentage of our resources are going to military machines and to wars and revolutions. I just want to give you an example, uh, Fiona. Uh, if you go to Imperial War Museum, you will see huge, huge technology there of, of tanks, of uh, spying machines, of of cetera, Fiona, All these discoveries of these m- machines when first happened in the Industrial Revolution, first use it for mal- military reasons. First use it to make bombs and tanks and, and war machines. And then finally use it for civilian construction purposes. So I am of the opinion if we didn't use our technology and our resources for military machines and military uses, and we instead use them for constructive, constructive uh, purposes, then we will have a different world.
0: OK, thank you. I think what the point that timer is making there is that how resources are divided is the issue. Uh, that we know that the concentration of power and the concentration of resources is profound in the world. Uh, it is a viewpoint that if it was divided properly that we could all live on what there is there. We could do that, but, however, there's another viewpoint. It is a viewpoint. That's all. Um, so, next, next question, please. Yes,
2: Sorry. the trouble with evolution is it takes such a damn long time to get anywhere. I've been going for 80 years, and we still have a monarchy. We still have an unelected House of Lords. We still drive on the left side of the road, and we still haven't got a fixed Easter. So, if we had a benevolent dictator, I think we could get all those things fixed in a very short time. And would you agree with that?
1: I. I just want to ask you and one question from from my side how many this how many this how many how many this you see my finger how many this is w- is 1 1 and how many this 1 if you bring 1 and 1 together how many you get 11 you don't get 2 you get 11 you get 11 this is the power of 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 solidarity, the power of uniting people's power and people's ability. So if people unite peacefully to achieve things in peaceful ways, and they stop using violence and aggression, they will come to discover countless of peaceful means to make changes.
0: Okay. I mean, we know everybody here who's been coming here long enough would know that um, Aristotle said, only the dead know the end of war. There are lots of philosophical perspectives to take on this. Omer is presenting his philosophical perspective, which is based on his own lived experience. He has lived these processes. I personally haven't. So we have to respect Omer's position and perspective. No, no, we have to respect his position and respect it from his own lived experience. I'm not saying we have to believe it. We have to respect it. Yeah. Okay, we have to believe it and respect it. John.
4: I would make the point that our present lifestyle is depending on consumption of non-renewable resources. We're talking about oil, gas, coal. Also of minerals, metals, we're consuming those. So ultimately there will not be enough human uh, resources left for the human race to continue in its present lifestyle. And we seem to have very little concern for the sad future of younger generations. That's just an observation and I'm you know, it, it's one that concerns quite a number of us today.
1: Yeah, I, tot- I totally agree with you, and I think, yes, I think, one. I think we all should think like you. I think for our future, and imagine one day the petrol will finish, one day the iron will finish, one day other resources will finish. We have to think about that, and we have to be serious in our thinking. But I also believe that. Uh, we as consumer society, uh, there is huge individual variation. Some people, individuals like somebody like yourself, would try to be conservative in consumption, to have like few sets of clothes, few sets of shoes, and to have enough just gas and electricity to get on with your life and not to spend too much. But I want to give you another example. I read in Evening Standard newspaper that two Russian millionaires uh, spent £60,000 in one night in a nightclub in competing between who will drink more. So these these two millionaires spent £60,000, over £60,000 in one night on drinks in competition, who will drink more and and consume more. So this is another human being you see, he has resources, but how he is spending it. And, and there is an example of yourself as a decent human being who is just spending as much as it is necessary. So I think there is huge individual variation and we need to educate the human being. All our, all our problems Start with one solution, that is education and awareness. And I think we need everybody to be like a candle to, to spread education and awareness around us, in at home, at workplace, within the society.
0: Thank you, Omar, for those very wise words. And I will remember, remind everybody when Kant said, "Education is a seamless golden robe that we wear." Education is the bringing into life of the individual. I think there is a truism in that. Okay, the next question, please. Uh, look, is there another question? Please. Yes.
2: I was struck when, when you, you've you been very much against violence, that you admitted that in your past you were violent to members
1: true, of your family. True,
2: absolutely. Uh, and the, the point: not everybody ever learns not to be. But as long as somebody is violent, they, those the people around have to use methods which, which will include force to prevent the suffering. On a small scale, within the family, protecting children from paedophiles. On a larger scale, if uh, if Hitler wants to kill people for no good reason and goes into other countries, then if they don't use his methods to prevent it, then the whole of the world will, will suffer from, from the inappropriate killing of people for, for no good reason.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, I just wanted to tell you that we, as human beings, we all have that destructive instinct, that violence and aggression within ourselves, and sometimes we express it indirectly, and we call it passive aggression. So I just wanted to give you an example about myself, to be honest, to tell you that I have been violent and aggressive, but not anymore, not anymore at all. And I have been in situations when I have been beaten, when I have been abused violently, and I have never reacted in a violent way as well. I have just kept passive and, and, and defended myself through just like this but i want to tell you another thing uh, that's very important if we keep facing violence by violence and aggression by aggression we will never end, end we will never end these cycles of violence revenge and counter revenge abuse and counter abuse offense and counter offense we need to stop these cycles and we must start at personal level and then at family level domestic level and at society level and at nationwide level so we need to stop these cycles we can't get on with violence we can't excuse ourselves that because the other person is violent i should be violent too towards we need to stop these cycles
0: Okay, thank you, Omar. Um, can I just remind everybody, I have read several of Omar's books, they're quite tomes, um, and it's very the perspective he draws is very interesting. Omar, can you yes. say, if I might ask a question, could you say something about the difference between men and women for the propensity to violence? Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, there is a saying that men are from mars and women are from venus and that's i think absolutely correct i think there is huge huge difference between when men and women and i just want to say that all our problems are are because of men not women 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 are innocent women are absolutely innocent look to somali women look to Bangladeshi women, look to Syrian women, look to Saudi Arabian women. There is no problem with them. All the problem is with men. So that's the main thing you know, I must to concentrate on. If you read my book, you will see a lot of diagrams to explain why that and a lot of reasons. The other thing in my book which I highlighted is the, uh, is the gray area that is innocent that I call it the love and care gray area that's innocent, that's non-sexual. That gray area is in the middle between sexual on one side and non-sexual on the other side. In the middle you have this gray area of innocent love and care. That area, that gray area is very narrow among men. men. usually tend to see things either sexual or non-sexual. And they see that innocent gray area of peaceful love and care that is innocent. They, they have little of that. But women have huge, huge, that gray, innocent area. Women can be very loving and caring without being sexual. But it's very difficult for men to have that experience. The The two things, Two things that widen this grey area of innocent love and care is a healthy, functional belief system and wisdom. These two things—the wisdom, the advancing age, the wisdom—and uh, uh, the functional, healthy, moderate belief system—both of these increase this innocent area, area of of love and care in both men and women, but they are essential for men because men by nature have narrow have limited gray area of of innocent love and care in compared to women. So I am of the belief that men need more wisdom and more healthy functional belief system in order to be proper men but women don't need healthy functional belief system and they don't need wisdom. Women by nature are all right. There is nothing wrong with women. That's my belief.
0: Is it also your view, Ama, could I ask that men are weaker than women?
1: Yes, men men to me, men are much weaker than women. Uh, Men substitute their weaknesses by acquiring external sources of power. That's why you see men craving for power, men easily becoming violent and aggressive, and they don't hesitate to use violence and aggression uh, uh, in compared to women who are very strong within, very powerful within, uh, uh, and they don't tend to have such a grave such a crave for violence and aggression and external sources of power. I think, I think to me women are much more, much, much more competent morally, psychologically, mentally, uh, physically than men.
0: Thank you, Ahmad. I think we can just take two more questions. I think the gentleman down here. Sorry,
1: and you will see all the explanation in the book, you know, all the things.
2: Uh,
1: I, I remember it
5: being
4: said that if women run the world, there would be no wars. As a general rule, of course, men are more aggressive than women. I would, however, like to point out that India, Israel and Britain have fought wars under female prime ministers.
0: Yeah, just a the point there, Omar, that uh, there have been some wars that have been led by female leaders.
1: Yeah, I think uh, if you read Chapter 2 of Sexual Politics by Kate Millett, you will have a clear understanding on the relationship between women and men on the ground of the real life. Women, those few prime minister women you have seen, they have uh, played men's game and they have worked in a patriarchal, totally men-dominated world, so they have not acted as women in a women-dominated world.
0: Okay, I think the final question now. Somebody, is it the somebody who hasn't spoken? This gentleman here. Thank okay. you.
4: Um, I just wanted to pick up on one point. You use this description of fundamentalist atheists. I don't think there's any such thing. Um, I think people are fundamentalist about things like nationalism or sexism or racism. Um, again, the, the position of power is what makes these people dangerous, having real power. Um, I don't think you will find any violent atheists. I don't think any of the people in this hall are inclined towards violence. We would not go and drive a guy down in uh, the street and then try and cut his head off because of our beliefs. You won't find us doing that. The other thing is also I think your philosophy is, if I might say so, I think it's sort of almost directly derived from Edmund Burke, the father of modern conservatism. I think you're advocating a set of small C conservative values. And when you talk about liberalism, I think you're confusing that with libertinism. There's a difference between a liberal and a libertine. OK, can well, we get to the question, please? Yep. Thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm making the points, which are the questions. The talked about uncertainty. I mean, there's not one person in this room who isn't aware that we only can see 5% of the observable universe. The other 95% is either dark matter or dark energy. And therefore, we can't be completely certain about that. Most of us, because we support scientific, rational approach towards knowledge, are aware of things like Heisenberg's Principle of Uncertainty. So yes, we are aware. Okay, can we just finally get yeah. to the question? And Thank finally, you. Uh, when you talk about psychic powers, I don't think there's a person in this room that believes in that. Sorry? So oh, You can't speak for everybody. Well, you. I'm yeah. saying I think. Thank you. I think there's probably, there are very few people in this room that would support the idea of psychic powers.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Omar? Um, yeah, I
1: think, uh, just for, for the first point, I presented a spectrum, and on the right side, the extreme fundamentalist, on the left side, the extreme atheist, and there's huge, huge gray area and moderate area in between. So. I'm definitely sure you and all attendee of this lecture, they are very nice people, wonderful, peaceful, moderate people, but we can't exclude that there are, uh, there are no extreme atheists. I think there are extreme atheists.
0: Right, well, okay. I'm the, well, the
1: other point about the uh, extraordinary psychic sense of power, we know that throughout history certain individuals were able to influence masses and create philosophies and put codes of conduct for people and create belief systems for people so that they can organize their life around them. And I I think these people were extraordinary by all means and they come up with uh, uh, what people saw it as uh, uh, magic or miracles or whatever they want to call it. I think there have been in human history, some individuals with that huge, extraordinary psychic sense and power.
0: Okay, right, well, I think we, it was a very interesting uh, lecture this morning from Omar, and um, lots to think about, a good perspective, Uh, certainly from a medical, psychiatric viewpoint, it's something useful to know. Uh, Could we all say thank you to Omar this morning for his (laughs) work?